You're listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org. Our scripture reading for this morning is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, verses 32 through 36. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please join me in an attitude of prayer. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I have a two-year-old who has recently started asking why? I hear this is a common thing with toddlers. And so we'll say, it's time to go to the grocery store. And she'll say, why? And I'll say, well, we need to buy some more food. And she'll say, why? And we'll say, well, we might get hungry and we'll need something to eat. And she'll say, why? (laughs) It can keep going for quite some time. Well, the scripture passage that Steve just read for us this morning reads to me as if Jesus is asking us why, in a more nuanced, uh, complex way, perhaps. Why do you do good? Is it just because you're expecting other people to do good to you in return? Why do you lend or share with people? Is it because you're expecting to get repaid? Why do you love the people that you love? Is it solely because you want to be loved back? And then at the end of the passage, Jesus says very explicitly, I want you to do all these things and expect nothing in return. Love, do good, share, not because of what you think will happen as a result, but simply because that's what we do as children of God. I mean, certainly it's okay if we respond or people respond to love that we show them. It seems pretty natural to love people who love us, doesn't it? But that's not where our compassion stops. We can't be limited to that small circle of those who are able to reciprocate what we offer or of those who we would help even if they can't reciprocate because we somehow deem them to be good people. Jesus calls us to a different way of life. And reading this passage suggests that this different way of life he's calling us to begins with this question of motivation. Why do we do what we do? So last fall, our staff here at the church participated in an educational workshop on the Enneagram. 
And if you're unfamiliar, the Enneagram is a type of personality test, sort of similar to Myers-Briggs or StrengthsFinder or any of those that are out there. Uh, the premise of the Enneagram is that each person has a primary motivation that directs how they interact with the world. And in the Enneagram, there are nine primary motivations, and each person can uh, sort of be divided up into one of nine categories. And they're identified by the number, one through nine. And then there's also these endless subtypes, and it gets very complex if you love that kind of thing and start digging into it. But the basic premise is nine different primary motivators. And in some senses, it's like any other personality test you've ever taken. You, you take a test, and based on the answers to, your, to the questions, it'll tell you, well, this is, this is the kind of um, category you're in. So for example, if your test result indicates that you're a five on the Enneagram, your primary motivation is probably somehow related to knowledge. Fives on the Enneagram are motivated by a desire to really fully understand the world around them, especially before they jump into something. Fives want to have everything figured out. They're always learning new things. You might have a five in your life if you've asked them about a new hobby and immediately they jump in and they tell you all the nuance and complexities and the details about it and you may not even fully understand what they're talking about and they will keep going because they're so excited to share what they've learned. One of the things that we discovered as a staff at the church by doing the Enneagram workshop is that we have a whole lot of Enneagram ones on our staff. Key motivators for type ones include striving for excellence and improvement, idealism, high standards for themselves and for other people, wanting to get everything right, that's a prime motivator for a one, and ones also tend to be very well organized. Well, full disclosure, I should tell you, I am not a one. That is not me. <laughs> uh, Google does tell me, however, that some famous Enneagram ones include Nelson Mandela, Meryl Streep, and Gandhi. So that's quite a lineup if it's true. I'm glad to have so many of these uh, fabulous people on our staff. Now, the Enneagram isn't a be-all, end-all. It's not uh, the only tool you ever use, but it's it's given us a shared language as a staff to talk about some of our differences and similarities. And it's been really important for us to talk about our personality differences, our working style differences, because we're driven in different ways, and that causes us to react differently and work differently. And it turns out the way that we see the world changes how we're going to live in the world. And knowing that other people see the world differently from us helps us have greater compassion for the way people are acting and moving and working, even if it's not the way that we would do it. I don't think it's going to be earth-shattering for me to say this to you, that we understand and prioritize things in different ways. We all already know this. We all already experience this. And yet, it's good to be reminded, because it helps us love one another more fully when we remember that other people are not seeing the world in the same way. People aren't always going to reciprocate in the way that we want them to, or even in ways we understand. For example, some people tend to be motivated primarily by relationships and care for others. That's what the Enneagram would tell us. Over and above other motivations, relationships are primary. And these people tend to be twos on the Enneagram. Twos are very relational, they're very caring, they tend to put the needs of others and the care for others even above care for themselves. 
I'm sure you know people like this in your lives. And a person like this, a two on the Enneagram, might be motivated to have a check-in conversation to see how you're doing. And they may really want to have a heart-to-heart and know if you're okay and what they can do to support you. And often the twos really like to lean into feelings and they, they love being in that place. Now, if you don't share the same primary motivation, if you don't function like that and you work on a staff with somebody who does, you may not immediately understand why they want to talk so much about feelings. And they may not immediately understand why you didn't come to check in on them, because that's what they would have done for you. Now, on the other hand, if, you're motiv- if you work with somebody who's motivated by checklists and deadlines, well, they also probably want to be checked in on, because who doesn't? But they may not want to start their day with an hour heart-to-heart. They may want to just get down to business after they've told you they're doing okay or whatever they're going to tell you. Because we all have fundamentally different priorities and motivations as we're going about our days. And there's not one that's better than the other, they're just all different. And even though our staff all kind of knew this intuitively, we still had some aha moments as we went through this work together, as we were reminded by our own, of our own motivations as well as the motivations of other people on our staff as they disclosed some of those. And they're really simple things, like some people like to have materials ahead of time so they can kind of mull things over slowly and think about it and come to their decisions over a week. And other people are just fine if you brainstorm 10 ideas in a meeting and you pick one and you're done. Some people thrive on that spur of the moment thinking and other people really just need the time to process. And I heard you laughing, so you know, you know these people. (laughs) They may be in your family. They may be your neighbors. They may be your friends. And one style isn't better than the other style. They are just different. And when we acknowledge them and voice them, it helps us begin to love one another better. Most of us already very well understand that people approach the world in different ways. And even though we know this, and even though we can articulate this, we sometimes still fall into the trap of wanting people to be like us. We want people to respond to things like we would, to prioritize things like we would, when often that's just not reality. And sometimes we need things like the Enneagram or Myers-Briggs or Love Languages or any kind of similar tool that's out there to remind us people aren't going to respond in the same way we are and you know what, it's, it's all right. We need to sometimes be reminded to expand our circle of how we think people might act and what we think an appropriate response might be, unless we want to risk limiting ourselves to close relationships with people who are already pretty similar to us. We love people who are like us. It's natural. It's easy. If you're a two and I'm a two, it's really easy to understand one another and work together and be comfortable with one another. And there's this natural reciprocity because I understand what you're thinking to a certain extent and you sort of understand the way I'm thinking to a certain extent. And of course it doesn't apply to just being alike on the Enneagram. We might find it easier and more enjoyable to work with people, be kind with people who look like us, who talk like us, who think like us, who have a similar level of education to us, I mean, if we like skiing, it's really easy to connect with people who also like skiing. There's a lot to talk about. If you like books, it's easy to connect with somebody else who likes books. If you like sports, there's an endless supply of things to talk about with other people who like sports. Versus if you start chatting with somebody and they say, oh, I can't tell the difference between a soccer ball and a football. It's 
shuts down a lot of conversation options if you're a sport lover. Now, obviously, these are silly examples. It doesn't really matter if you like sports or not like sports, I say, as somebody who doesn't know anything about sports. Most of us know people with different interests, and that's pretty straightforward. But it gets more real and more convicting the deeper we go with this thing, the more we challenge ourselves to connect with people who fundamentally are different from us. And there are differences among us that really truly can make compassion feel more challenging. Things like political differences, things like vast economic differences, life experience differences. And so if we stay on the surface level and we don't take the time to examine our motivations, we may remain in that kind of life that simply seeks reciprocity for what we do, that leans into the comfortable and the easy. And yet Jesus invites us to a different kind of life where we intentionally shift our motivations. We intentionally shift our why on connecting with people and loving people. When we follow Jesus, our why changes. And we no longer do good things simply because we're hoping somebody will notice. We don't do good things because we're hoping to be thanked or repaid or acknowledged or we're hoping that somebody will respond in the way that we would have responded. We don't help people simply because we're hoping that we will receive something in return. And in fact, Jesus really kind of turns the knife and says, no, you really don't want to do something just because you hope you'll get something back because even the sinners do those things. Even the sinners do those things. That kind of an ouch moment. And most of the time when we hear sinners, we assume that this is a label that's given to other people over there. That's, that's those people. They're the sinners. But here when we read about Jesus saying the sinners, well, look at the examples he gives. The sinners are those who love those who love them. The sinners do nice things for those who are nice to them. Well, has anybody here ever loved somebody who loved them or done something nice to somebody who was nice to them? I have. And so then you start to think, well, who's the sinner in this situation? I think sometimes it might be me. Sometimes it might be us. And we've come to have this really weighty understanding of the word sin and sinner, and it's this concept that has a lot of baggage. It's been associated with guilt and manipulation and all of these things to the point where many of us in mainline Protestant churches, Methodist churches, we just really are uncomfortable using this word. But the original Greek word in this passage, which we translate as sinner, is hamartaloi. Hamartaloi. You don't need to remember that. It does come with, from the word hamartia, but the main point that I would like you to remember is this word originally simply meant missing the mark or missing the point, the people who missed the point. And so in this passage from Luke, Jesus may very well have been trying to say to people, hey, even the people who are missing the point are nice to people who are nice to them. Even people who don't really get it are willing to share with people who will share with them. And so then it becomes much more accessible and we start to ask the question, well, okay, what is the point that Jesus would like us to take away? What's the mark that Jesus wants us to hit? Well, he includes that in the later section of this scripture. We help people because that's who we are. That's the mark God has set before us. Love for the sake of love, whether or not that person is like us, that's, that's the new why. 
doing good simply to do good, kindness for the sake of kindness, without expecting applause or thanks in return, sharing for the sake of sharing even if the person is never going to be able or capable of paying us back. And suddenly we no longer get to take the easy road of loving people who are able to love us back. We're no longer helping only the people who can repay us. And we're no longer limited to having relationships with people who respond or act in the way that we expect them to. Our circle expands exponentially when we understand that the point is living into our call as Christians, whether or not people respond, whether or not people give us thanks, whether or not people are capable of paying us back. And that's really what it's all about when you get to the core of the Christian faith. Jesus didn't love only the people who looked like him or talked like him or thought like him. He lived his life and died and was raised and he performed miracles and he taught for everybody, not just the people who were like him. It was for the whole world, for everyone. And so it's an invitation then as people who follow Jesus for us to set aside assumptions that people need to have the same way of being as we do. Our invitation is to set aside this easy life, the comfortable road of connecting exclusively with people who are similar to us. I know I haven't told you anything you didn't already know this morning, and yet Jesus constantly challenges us to get outside our comfort zone, to expand our circle, to do something tough by loving people who are different. So this morning and in the weeks ahead, may we expand our understanding. May we expand our circle. May we love without limits. Why? Because that's who we are as followers of Jesus. May it be so. Amen. You've been listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org.